ever get the uneasy feeling that you've been fed a lie? Not just any lie, but one that you have believed your entire life and which has guided many of your decisions. Most of the time, we shake off this feeling and go about our lives. But what if that feeling was the key to unlocking everything? I'm Joe Kwan, the Connection Counselor, and on each episode of The Big Lie, we'll reveal a new lie that once uncovered has the power to transform your relationships, career, and life. Let's do this. I'm so excited to share with you our newest sponsor, Chef Katorski, bringing the private chef experience of Michelin star kitchens to your next dinner or party. I recently had the chance to interview Chef Raf Katorski about what inspires him. Have a listen. You can go to a restaurant and order, I mean, whatever entree it is, but you don't really see what goes into it. You don't really see like how much passion and love we have for something so simple as, I mean, a cucumber. Like cucumbers are amazing right now. There's so many varieties that people have no idea about that. I mean, I, I want people to know. And when I found out, I, it, it was like I, it's like I learned the, the English language again. You know, there was just a whole nother world of, of beautiful ingredients that I never understood. And I never had even the capacity to, to, dream, to, to, to even conceptualize into something that now I have the ability to. And I would love to convey that message to anybody, regardless if they eat my food or not. Yeah, and, and I could definitely sense that in the food that you provided for us. So, you know, my wife and I. To inquire about having a special experience for your next dinner or event, go to www.chef-katorsky.com. That's K-H-U-T-O-R-S-K-Y. Please let them know you are a Whiteworks listener. The link and more information including the rest of the interview, can be found in the show notes for this episode at www.connectioncounselor.com. Welcome to our first episode of The Big Lie. Today, we're very lucky to have Linda Spiegel with us today. Linda is a job search coach and resume writer who has extensively recruited, interviewed, and hired thousands of talented professionals as a human resources executive. She founded Rising Star Resumes to leverage this background, which affords her unique perspective on how recruiters and hiring managers view candidates. Linda is a graduate of the University of Rochester and Queens College, City University of New York, with doctoral level courses at Cooney's Graduate Center in Rhetoric. Linda has worked at financial services, telecom, and SAAS companies. She also writes about HR and careers for the Wall Street Journal Experts blog. Linda, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Joe. It's so nice to be here. How do you find things, you know, at this sort of unique point in time? Um, how do you find things in terms of, uh, you know, where the market is and the impact, the real human toll uh, on people in, in this, you know, very difficult time for lots of people? 
Well, obviously the idea that we've surpassed 101,000 deaths in the United States is, is just so mind boggling that we have to take that into consideration. Um, and then that should come first and foremost in our thoughts before we sure. talk about the business impact. But of course, with 40 million unemployed people, um, you know, and companies um, put furloughing people and, you know, and, and sort of putting job offers they had just made at the beginning of the first quarter on hold, things are very uncertain now. And you're seeing that reflected in how people are behaving. Yeah, the, the word you said that really stood out to me was uncertainty, right? Like the uncertainty and the uh, anxiety that stems from that. Well, human beings are hardwired to, um, to look for certainty. You know, people, like, people will assume certainty, especially with their careers, um, even when there is none. People used to come to me and say, well, I don't want to take this contract position because I, I, I want the security of, of you know, full-time employment. And I, and I always say to them, what makes you think that's secure? And of course, those words have unfortunate resonance now more than ever, right? Yeah. Well, I'm excited to explore a big lie with you today. And, and for the listeners, um, this being the first show, you know, one of the reasons why, and I've had Linda on my other podcast, Why It Works, and she was a wonderful guest um, to talk about uh, interviewing and those sorts of topics there, was I often get a great guest and I want to go deeper. I, I really want to explore certain topics with them, but I can't because it's a very specific formula and we need to get through certain things. So this episode and this podcast is really about picking kind of one topic, which is our big lie for today, and just going as far and deep as the conversation takes us uh, with our expert today. So let's take a look um, at our sort of kickoff video. Orin, we really don't have any more time for fairy tales. Well, Miss Parker, let me ask you a question. How did you come up with the idea for Trask to buy up Metro? How did I, uh... Well, let's see, the, um... The impulse. What led you to put the two together? Well, you know, I would have to check my files. I can't recall exactly the, um... Well, generally. It's not as if it was in the mainstream. You know, it would have to be the, um... Help me out here. Orin, I beg your pardon, but if if you are insinuating... Miss Parker, if I were you, I'd go to your office and take a long, last look around. Because in about five minutes, I'm going to see to it that you get the boot. But good. Orin, this is a simple misunderstanding, and I... You cannot... I can, and I will. Now get your... What did you call it? Bony ass. Right. Bony ass out of my sight. So Linda, love the movie, love the clip. What is the big lie that, uh, that that sort of brings to light? Okay, the big lie is that women are not good mentors and are not good friends to other women in the workforce. And this movie is just an example, it's a huge example of this big lie uh, because the Sigourney Weaver character, Catherine, is clearly the boss and Tess, the Melanie Griffith character, is her secretary. Well, 
Tess came up with this great idea and her boss stole it and is trying to receive the credit. The little love triangle with Harrison Ford there, he's fallen, he used to, he used to be Catherine's boyfriend and he's fallen in love with Tess. And he's not gonna help Catherine bail herself out because she was in the wrong. So this movie is, it, it really exemplifies everything that's a lie about how women work together. And I think um, there's a term for this, right? The, uh, the queen bee? Yes, yes. The queen bee syndrome. You know, that sort of started very much like mean girls in high school. Uh, the queen bee exists in high school, even in middle school as well. And for all I know, it's gravitated down to elementary school. But it's, it's, this, it's sort of the female equivalent of being a bully. The queen bee is like in nature the force at which everything revolves. And if you want to be with the cool kids, you only hang out with the queen bee in her orbit. You do her bidding. But if you cross the queen bee, you're dead. And of course, what happens to the drones <laughs> who are involved with the queen bee? They die. <laughs> <laughs> I had forgotten that, about that. That's a male thing, not a female thing. <laughs> the, queen, the queen bee is just someone who needs to be in power, she needs to be in control. And where it comes in in the workplace, especially in this film, this film was uh, made in the late 80s. Um, and it really, you know, when you look at it through the lens, a contemporary lens, what you see, it's really a class struggle too, which only adds to this whole imbalance about the big lie. Because the Catherine, um, the Catherine character, who, would, by the way, is using a cane because she was in stud skiing and broke her leg. <laughs> and, you know, um, she's an Ivy League MBA. She's a very senior, you know, investment banker. Tess is, an, you know, is, is basically a secretarial school graduate from Staten Island. Um, and, but she's got a brain. And the film really focuses a lot on the class difference. So Catherine feels she can exploit Tess even more because she's the educated executive. And the really creepy part is when Tess first goes to work for her, she's so excited to be working for a woman. And Catherine takes her in the office and she says, Tess, we're a team, you know? And she makes a big deal about it's uh, it's us. I want you to share your ideas with me. And and of course, all she does is exploit Tess. And and it's just a lie. You know, it's just not. It made a bit for a very entertaining movie. And the scrappy Staten Island secretary comes out on top. And by the way, that guy hires her, and she has a now has her own secretary <laughs> in an investment banking firm. It's it's all very gratifying. But that's just not the experience I ever had. And in the 70s, I was a recent college graduate. I went to work on Wall Street. And I never had that experience. I never had an experience of a woman trying to exploit me because of her power. Instead, I had quite the opposite. Women really, really tried to be mentors and were. So, yeah, I think it's a big lie. And I think, and I just want to interject, I think it's a, it's a lie perpetrated by men. 
because I think men fear, you know, women bonding together and having power. So I think men um, sort of created this big lie to separate women, to pit women against each other so that they could retain the power. Mm. That's my feminist take on this. You know, I was just going to ask you, 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 you read my mind. I was just going to ask you, is there like a sexist or a gender kind of element to how this myth is being perpetuated? Well, who talks about, who, you, who coined the term catfight? Women? <laughs> Good point. No. no. Men, and, 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 you know, men just love the idea of women going at it. You know, men, men love the idea of women um, sort of competing with each other for them. You know, men are the prize and, you know, and it's, we just don't really feel that way. <laughs> it's a very outmoded construct, but I truly believe it's not a question of us having evolved. Um, I think it's a question of men in films and in popular culture all throughout the 20th century, men perpetuating this myth to keep women down and keep them less powerful. Because if you think about reality, women bond and women help, women are nurturers, women help each other. You know, think of a, think of a quilting bee, right? Pioneer women sat there to help get each other through making the necessary bedding for each other's families, and they turned it into a social occasion. Book clubs, which are, have always been until recently predominantly female, are women's, you know, a girls' night out. Women love to bond with each other, and women are intrinsically helpful, especially to one another. So it's a, it's a guy thing. Yeah, you know, it, it was very interesting to me when you brought up this topic. And if I stop and think about it and think about all the women that I've worked with in corporations over the years, I would say maybe 5 to 10% of them fit that queen bee mold, right? That mean girls type stereotypical mold. I'd say a full 90 to 95% don't. They're, they're very sort of warm towards other women and towards men. They're very professional, very helpful. They're not trying to put anyone down or treat anyone worse. They're just regular workers, just like everyone else. Well, you know, I think, yeah, and maybe I'm giving too much credit to the 5% you're talking about, mm -hmm. but I think they might be behaving that way because they think they have to. Interesting. You know, uh, I remember... In this, well, I graduated college in 1974, uh -huh. right? So the things we young women were told was um, dress the way, dress for the job you want to have, not the job you currently have. Mm -hmm. So you had all these little college graduate, little, little recent graduates like me with making, you know, barely making a living on salaries and, and like, trying to dress like, you know, as if we were making 100000 a year. Um, and, and we were mimicking uh, the people we saw ahead of us. But mostly in the 70s, the people we saw above us were men. And I think the lesson that women who rose to the top 
were getting, and of course I was not a woman at the top in the 70s or 80s, um, by the end of the 80s I was, but you know, uh, I think the message women at the top were getting was, you're playing in a man's world. So you saw executive women in the 70s and 80s wearing what they called power suits. Mm. So women didn't wear pants so much in the workplace, but they wore very um, unfeminine suits with, you know, with, with, with blouses, with little bows, you know, but, but very, um, as much as masculine a look as they could rock. And nowadays, you know, I go into, into companies and I see young executive women dressed, you know, maybe there's a tat showing, their hair is like the way they want to wear their hair. Um, I think all of those constructs were put in place again because women were told they had to act like men. And, and maybe what women thought acting like a man entailed, in addition to dressing like, you know, like Nurse Ratchet, but with business clothes. <laughs> but, but I think they thought like being, being a kind of cold, calculating, take no prisoners kind of guy was what men were supposed to be too. Does that make sense? Yeah, what, what's interesting to me about what you're saying is that the myth, and I think you and I agree that it's a myth, is so powerful that it's not just men perpetuating the myth. It's women who buy into it erroneously, perpetuating it on other women. Like, it's very powerful. I think they did. I don't think they do. I, I don't think they... They really have. I think that was true for the few women, those 5% you're talking about. Mm -hmm. For most women, it was just so inauthentic. And even in the day when authenticity wasn't a buzzword in the corporate world, you know, most emotionally stable people behave authentically naturally, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think it just goes against most women's nature, you know, to be... Um, to, to, to be that way, to be uncaring and to be unthoughtful to others, and especially not to help. It's, you know, I had a, an administrative assistant who was the exact same age as my daughter, graduated in 2007, and this kid was amazing. He, he, he supported me and the head of sales and our CEO. I was, you know, head of HR. And he was the smart as a whip, first-generation American. Um, he and his brothers were the first college grads in, the, in their family. And I mentored him, and so did the head of sales, to the point that he is now running, you know, a huge, huge uh, sales aspect. Of, he actually went back to the company we used to work in after many other positions, and he's now like a mega superstar, making way more money than I ever did. <laughs> and he, he's been kind enough to say it was because you and Mona mentored me. So that made me think, what about the young women I worked for? And I realized that he was an anomaly because there weren't that many young men working as administrative assistants. It's, it tends toward more of a female role. Uh -huh. But... We, we saw so many promotions. We, we nurtured talent um, 
Mona and I as senior um, as senior executives. And one of the things, just parenthetically, one of the things I always ask my clients when I'm working on their resume, and they all talk about, you know, like they lead teams to success. And I say, can we talk about how many of your direct reports were promoted? You know, or how many of them have advanced in their careers? And let's get granular about that because that says a lot. And one woman I was working with today, she's an IT program manager, actually said one of the things she does is mentor young IT students in how to write technical documentation. And she made a point of it being for other women as a high-level program manager. And mm -hmm. that's just the way we rock, you know? Roll, sorry. <laughs> so let me, let, let me ask you, Linda. What, and I know you, uh, in addition to the resume, sort of uh, are very helpful to folks mentoring them, you know, with their career type questions. What do you say uh, when, let's say, a, a junior or younger uh, female professional comes to you and they kind of are experiencing this type of boss, let's say female boss, who is treating them in this kind of queen bee type manner? What, what, what is kind of your advice or your thoughts on? Um, Joe, I hate to say it. I yeah. have, it hasn't occurred. Yeah. It hasn't occurred. I've heard the opposite. Mm. And I've heard people complaining about managers, you know, but they're only doing it to me. You know, because mm. I, I always say to them, when you go on an interview, you say nothing negative. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You're asking me, you know, if the, if the queen bee um, big lie exists in the real world, and I don't think it does. And I actually haven't, I mean, I might have, thinking back, I might have had some young women say, my boss is really horrible to me, but it could have been a male boss too. It wasn't mm. the gender of the boss that made the boss horrible. It was, you know, a personality clash. Mm -hmm. But it was mm -hmm. never my boss isn't trying to help, isn't letting me get ahead. Mm -hmm. You know, or my boss steals my ideas like in this film. Or worse, my boss lies to me about my contribution being very important and she's just, you know, she's just saying that to look like she's woke. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, oh boy. Yeah, you know, when you were talking earlier about um, how sometimes, you know, this, uh, this myth, you know, is, is perpetuated out there, every once in a while it, it pops up that you'll hear something in the news about something where there's some training and it's the power dynamic maybe perhaps again, and, and you'll hear crazy stuff like, and, and I've heard this from people too who, who I mentor where they'll hear something from their manager saying, you know, oh, you're on a team with a lot of guys and, you know, when you correct them and stuff, you know, they, you know where I'm going with this, right? <laughs> it's like they got to wear like kid gloves on, you know, but like, like, like it's the whole mother thing. or I don't know what's going on. But if it was a man, it'd be like, oh, yeah, he's very, he's very firm and, and, you know, definitive. But if it's a woman, it's like, oh, you know, you hurt their feelings kind of thing. Oh, wait, I'm, let me make sure I understand. Are you saying that women can't be criticized or you're saying women have to be more gentle to men than other men would be. I'm saying that there is often a double standard, even there's, by yeah. 
even by well-meaning bosses, right? Like you could have a well-meaning boss, but like the system is such that when a woman has certain behaviors, they are perceived differently by men and you women. You are absolutely correct. I mean, we can even go, we can look in the political realm where women who are strong women who, are, who have opinions and aren't afraid to express them, Kamala Harris, Hillary Clinton, Elizabeth Warren. I mean, people, if they were men, people wouldn't say things like that about it. People will comment about a woman's appearance where they would never talk about a man's appearance. But I just want to say, I was very lucky. Um, I worked for a man who is now, the, you know, and we're both the same age. Um, he's, he, we've, we haven't worked together for many, many years, but we've become very close friends. Um, yeah, I was at his kid's wedding. You know, his wife always invites me out to their summer house. We're really good friends. But one of the interesting things about this man was he took me aside one day and he said, look, I got to tell you, I'm really annoyed with the way you behave at meetings. So I instantly went on the defensive. What have I done now? <laughs> And he said, I hired you because I thought you had half a brain. So why are you always like couching what you say? And right. well, I don't know, maybe we could try this. Why are you agreeing with people you don't agree with? He said, for heaven's sakes, Linda, I hired you because at this certain task, you're smarter than me. You know more. Right. So, you know, I'm not going to repeat the expletives that accompanied his conversation with me. But what he was basically saying is, own your own your knowledge and stop being afraid of it. And I do recognize that he's not an anomaly, but he's not, he was, he's not the, the majority. Yeah. But I was very, very fortunate to not only work for men who mentored me, but I've had a few women bosses. I, I worked for women who were incredibly um, helpful to me and really tried to help me get ahead as much the as much the women as the men but there was never any sense of competition or any you know it was mostly um i remember one woman who wasn't that much older than i am but she said i see a lot of myself in you and also sort of said very much the same thing that my male boss said to me have a little more confidence you know you're you're so afraid of not being agreeable what what this woman said to me was, uh, it's easier to apologize than it is to ask for permission. You know, you want to you want to be you want to be a boss. Do what you think is right, and then if people get upset about it or it turns out you you know your boss wasn't happy you did it, you just say I'm sorry. But at least you showed that you had the courage of your convictions and that you respect your own decision making. Now, you have to temper that with, you know, judiciously, of course, but it was, it was very much of an eye-opener, you know. Um, I think when women, women my age who grew up in the 50s and that culture of domesticity and you went to college to get your MRS, you know, that I was fortunate to have parents who said to me, you don't have to settle for being a teacher or a nurse, mm -hmm. you know? You can be whatever you want to be. Um, and I was fortunate that way. And by the time I graduated in the 70s, it was the height of the first wave of feminism. Mm -hmm. So 
there was there were there were women like Gloria Steinem and you know and and Shirley Chisholm to look up to and and to have as role models. But it was very confusing. You know, it was almost like a it was like a cultural clash between what you'd brought up believing and what you saw was was really happening. You know, but but if you think about it, why are women so effective in the workplace? We are natural negotiators. We are natural, you know, we, we're natural concilia we're naturally conciliatory, which means we're always looking for consensus instead of ramming something down people's throats. Mm -hmm. And I think that whole you know, that also belies that big lie that women just aren't going to help other women. Women want to get stuff done. And one of the things that I've always noticed in my career is is women giving credit where credit was due to other people. Mm. You, I, you, I just don't see people, I never saw people in my career who tried to act as if they did it all by themselves, absent a few men. You know, it's so interesting that you mentioned that about um, taking credit or not recognizing other people. Um, I recently had a conversation with someone who's um, quite senior in the organization that you know she's in. And um, I didn't ask her this directly, but we, we just started talking about what things they look for when someone's up for promotion. And one of the things she said to me, not the only thing, obviously, but one of the things she said to me is, do they recognize others and the contribution that their team made? Or does this person think it's all about them and that they did it all their own? And that counts against them. That will weigh against them. But that's not necessarily, uh, I mean, women, I see this one with my resume clients. Mm -hmm. Women will put in, well, I'll look at their original resumes and will say contributed to or helped or co-did mm. co something. And the men, I often have to say, did you rest on the eighth day? <laughs> <laughs> Um, women overdo. I, I sometimes overdo the giving credit. You know, uh -huh. sometimes I have to say to the, my women clients, nobody thinks you did this alone. Uh -huh. So I find that I use the word collaborated on a lot uh -huh. in my in in the resumes I write to to show that this person, my client, doesn't think she did it all by herself. Right. But also without powering down or, or denigrating her contribution assisted supported right. the, those are like lowering kind of words right like you don't you know that's sort of you know that's sort of the secret sauce of being i think a good resume writer is finding uh -huh. that balance between somebody acting as if they parted the red sea versus <laughs> i just helped <laughs> oh boy i didn't do much you know yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 definitely interesting um, the way people go about that and how that's perceived mm. in the workplace by others. And um, I think that can definitely unintentionally work against you, right? Like like if you don't recognize that dynamic, uh, that can definitely work against you. So I just came and I just had a thought. We uh -huh. all watched Mad Men when it was on TV, right? Yeah, I love Mad Men. 
right? It took place in the late 50s, early 60s. Yeah. And we all remember the character of Joan Holloway. Yes. A very voluptuous uh, woman who had a brain like a crackerjack intellect, right? Yeah. And she was talking to young Peggy, who was that, who of course became a force in the advertising world and executive sure. herself. But at that point, she was just the girl, the mm -hmm. secretary. And I remember Joan turning to her and say, if you want to get anywhere, you'll stop dressing like you're still in prep school or Catholic school or something. She was, stop wearing those little girl outfits and act like a woman. I mean, Joan's advice might have been a little more sexual than it should have been, mm -hmm. but her point is well taken. You know, a, a lot of, I don't think it's true anymore. And I don't see it, thankfully, I'm very, very happy to hear this. I don't think young women behave that way anymore. I mean, my daughter is in her mid-30s, but when she graduated in, you know, in, in 2007 um, from NYU, she started as a, a receptionist at Miramax. <laughs> and five months later, she was assistant to one of the producers of indie films, and now she's a leading film publicist herself and she didn't come out of there thinking well you know I'm just the girl she was like I just got an opportunity to sit at the reception area where I'm getting to meet the Cohen brothers and other major directors and I'm just gonna do my job and listen to everything that's being said and then I'm gonna find senior people in this company and tell them what I think and she did and she caught the ear of a vice president who said I need a new assistant, and I like that girl in reception. Mm. So I think young women now have a very different attitude than I did when I graduated in the 70s. Well, you know what's interesting to me um, about all oh, this? Oh, by the way, that was a woman executive who saw a lot of promise in my young daughter. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> awesome, awesome. You know what's interesting to me about this discussion, Linda, is that if you think about what companies want, right? Companies want to be productive, they want to be um, innovative, they want to be the best version of a company they could be. Sure. And if you think about what drives that, it's the people, right? If, if you have everyone bringing their best version of themselves and all working together, that's how you have a winning combination. So what strikes me is, you know, myths like the one we're talking about, um, and also maybe some sort of systemic um, issues kind of prevent tapping into the full potential of, of your team, right? Because right now in any major corporation, you're going to have 50, maybe slightly more than 50% women, right? Mm -hmm. And if you hobble them, in, in the way they work or they interact or the way they're, you know, promoted, you're actually damaging yourself. You're, you're damaging the organization. You're not getting as much out of people as you could. Well, that's, you know, that's, that's why nowadays we, we call human resources talent management, mm. you know, because smart companies invest a lot in human resources and not the old fashioned kind of human resources. It's all about getting the most out, 
enabling your employees to develop themselves. And even though it means that they're going to leave you at some point, if you're lucky, you'll be able to promote them and they'll stay in the company for a long time. But knowing that the investment you're making them could result in them growing up and leaving the nest still means you're improving your employer brand, but you're doing the right, you know, you're doing the right thing. You're creating a culture where employees feel respected and feel um, that their contributions are, are appreciated. And of course, you know, you do that and it helps with retention. It, it's, it's just the right way to run an organization. And if we want to continue the gender, you know, the, ge the gender divide here, um, women sometimes feel guiltier about leaving when they've had good bosses and they've worked mm. for a good company than men. I see, you know, women have to kind of get over that feeling of obligation. Yes. You know, yes. Like, oh, they, you know, they paid for me to take these courses and now I'm a great software developer, you know, and now I just got this other offer, but you know, I feel so bad. You know, I, I, I remember I had hired this guy and he was great. And after about four or five weeks, he came in my office. I mean, he wasn't working for me. I was HR. Uh -huh. He came in and he sat down. He said, Linda, I feel terrible, but I just got the dream offer from American Express. So I'm going to be leaving in two weeks. He apologized. No, he apologized. He said, I know this is a problem. I, you know, and I feel he, he, he said the right things, but he no more felt bad about it than, you know, than, than his new boss at American Express would. Um, and he looked good to his new boss because he said, I have to give this company I'm working for um, notice. I had a, the same thing with a young woman who said, um, you know, I was just given an offer at this other place and, you know, like, I think I should take it. I said, Okay, are you taking it? <laughs> well, I, you know, and at first I'm thinking, is she trying to, is she trying to get me to put, you know, offer more money or give her an incentive to stay? Right. I just kind of like, well, so what's on your mind? <laughs> you know, what are you thinking? She just, well, she really wanted to take this other job, but she felt so guilty about it. She was asking my permission to quit. Right, right, right. You know, this is really fascinating. And, and the way I kind of think about it, Linda, and, and you can let me know what you think about this metaphor. Um, a lot of companies want to talk about how we're a family, right? Like, like, like that we treat their, uh, that they treat their employees like family, right? And they recognize there's a real value in that. Well, if you, if you stop and just think about not a corporate family, but like your own family, right? If you really love your kids, and have loving parents and have a great family, do you want your kid to constantly for the rest of their life live in your house, have a certain subservient role and never be able to be greater than the parents, right? Never go out and grow. It, it's almost like it almost necessitates for a lot of people that they do move beyond that of course. household. I mean, I mean one, of the, one of the most one of the many dangers in one's career is when somebody, you know, I see it some once in a while, never with millennials, but always with people who may be in their fifties or, you know, or so they'll go, I, one guy, I, I've been with Kodak for 40 years, 
you already have a problem because we now expect people to to move to move on and move ahead mm -hmm. you know and yeah it's great if you've moved up within the same company but there's really almost you know i tell people back in the olden days you worked for the same company my one of my cousins uh retired from procter and gamble he started as an engineer right out of college worked his way up they paid for two master's degrees he you know he, he just he he retired with the watch and the party and the whole thing and the stock options and living in Boca, living the good life now. You don't do that anymore because now it bespeaks of being, having low ambition and being willing to ride, you know, the corporate ladder. It's, it's, it's no longer considered a smart move. So when I see somebody coming to me who, you know, some, uh, I had a recent client who said, well, I've been with the same company for 12 years. And my first thing, I interrupted her and said, get out. <laughs> get out. I love it. I love it. <laughs> it was time to leave. It was time to leave like five years ago, honey. <laughs> and get it, out. <laughs> it may sound strange to have a, a human resources person saying that, but we expect it. And if we're doing our jobs right in human resources, we help facilitate that. I mean, for me, it's, it's all about development, right? And, and right. growth and, and finding what you need to get that. And it's not about doing what's easy and comfortable and, and maybe what everyone else is doing. And, and if that means you have to take a risk and go out on a limb and, you know, potentially fail, that, that's what you got to do. I think either way, whether you lose or fail, I mean, you're still winning because you're learning something from it. You're moving forward, you're developing, and you, you end up, in a weird sort of way, much stronger for the experience. Failure is highly underrated. It's highly underrated. Um, and, and by the way, that, that young man I, I referred to before who was my uh, administrative assistant, mm -hmm. he came back to uh, the company that I hired him to work for. He's 35 now. Uh -huh. He started working for us when he was 20, just turning 21, a recent college grad. Mm -hmm. And he left after five years, went to a couple of other companies, and he came back well after I was gone, but he was welcomed back. Yeah. Look at what he accomplished out there. They couldn't wait to bring him back. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know? You gotta, you, it's always smart to, to help people, nurture people. All right. Well, Linda, this has been really illuminating. Um, I love our conversations. Uh, before we wrap up, I would love for you to share what I like to call the next step. Okay, so we've discussed the big lie. We've discussed why it's a lie, how it can be damaging. What is like one specific concrete step that people can do immediately um, to sort of counteract kind of the pernicious effects uh, of this big lie? So if you're a woman in a senior role, find a young woman and offer to mentor her. If you are a young woman and there's a more senior woman whom you admire, go up to her and say, I acknowledge that you're very busy. It would be an honor. I'd be very grateful if you could devote a few hours to mentoring me throughout the month. If you're a man and you have a daughter, encourage your daughter to behave 
not only authentically, but encourage your daughter to ask for help and to, and to take on the tasks that she's afraid of taking, you know, and, and let her fail. And if you're a mom, just keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I say to my wife. Just keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> I'm lucky to have you. <laughs> All right, excellent. Well, Linda, what, um, this has been an amazing conversation. What have you been working on lately, and, and how can our guests find out more about you? So um, I have been continuing to help people especially now so many people are freaking out about their careers. I'm be just beginning to partner with someone who is uh, starting an outplacement service and I'll be working with her clients um, on helping out, you know, people who've been let go with their resumes and their LinkedIn profile. So that's, that's on the horizon. And in the meanwhile, I'm continuing with rising star resumes working with the clients who are coming to me and trying to dispense the most helpful advice I can, particularly to young women. Mm. So, so before I let you go, let me ask you, like, what are one or two sort of huge mistakes that you see people making, even, even more experienced people, right? Because you must get the gamut of like from executives to, you know, younger folks. Sure. But what are some like really common mistakes that just keep happening over and over again? Oh, God, that could be another two hours, Joe. Ah, just give us one or two. Give us a taste. Okay. Never PDF your darn resume. Why okay, why is that? First of all, why would you do it? Uh -huh. Who's, who's going to go in there and mess with your resume? <laughs> like Russian bots are going to come in and go, oh, i got to screw up Joe's resume. <laughs> There's, there, that's number one. Number two, um, applicant tracking system software typically can't read a PDF. Oh, it right out. Well, that's huge. Yeah, so that that's number one. But just in terms of content, mm -hmm. people who focus more on functions that they performed rather than very specific examples that show without telling the traits you want future employers to know about. Great. Well, Linda, thank you so much for your time today and sharing with us your big lie. Thank you, Joe. It's great to talk to you. Hi, this is Joe Kwan, the Connection Counselor. Do you like feeling stuck in your professional career or relationships? Do you like wasting time on top five lists or superficial advice? If there was a way to change your life without having to get anyone else's permission, would you take it? I'm happy to announce the launch of Unlock University or Unlock You. Join us as we unlock the 12 super personal skills that will immediately transform the way people respond to you. To learn more, go to www.connectioncounselor.com. See you in class. Thank you so much for listening to The Big Lie. We hope it has an amazing impact on your life. I only have one favor to ask. If you enjoy the show, please tell the one person you know who needs to hear about it and share the link. That's it. Together, we can vanquish these illusions that are holding us back.